0: Reese and Reynolds are trapped in a shopping mall. The hordes of the undead are banging at the door. This is The Dawn of the Dead and the end of the season. Reese. Reese, the listeners are after us. They know we're still in here. They're after the podcast, Chris. They don't know why. They just remember that they want to listen to top quality movie chat.
1: Who the hell are they?
0: They're us, that's all. There's no more room in hell. I mean, the series. There's no more room in the series. What? When there's no more room in the series, the dead will walk the earth.
1: Hang on, does this mean what I think it means? (laughs) That we're finally doing a zombie episode? No, I think it means you're listening to Bigger Pictures with Chris Reynolds and Reese Davis-Santi Banyath. You are listening to Bigger Pictures, the
0: fortnightly podcast bringing you big brain cinematic double bills with a double barrel shotgun loaded, equal parts of comedy and commentary. This week, a couple of zombie films. Once upon a time, these were a niche subgenre, but now they're everywhere, much like zombies themselves. The only safe place to hide is in the
1: ventilation ducts. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I failed this week with a Venn diagram pun. I couldn't think of one. I think a ventilation shaft is a a pretty good one. Well done. Have a little miniature round of applause. (laughs) we're finally
0: doing a zombie episode. I know. How about that? You've been talking about wanting to do one since we started.
1: I've been ruining the podcast since we started. Almost every episode (laughs) that I found a chance to say, how about changing this into a zombie film? I've I've been doing it. Sex in the City with Zombies, I suggested that and you shot me down. And ever since then I've been determined to try and finally get us to this point.
0: I would be disappointed if you didn't say at some point, you know what? It would be nice in this film if they suddenly, the zombies got knocked down, but then they got back up again and they were super zombies. (laughs) Zombies squared.
1: What I might do is suggest that like change like i don't know dawn the dead into sex in the city halfway through it would be really nice if we had like a story about a bunch of women who are friends who are obsessed with consumerism and having sex
0: yeah well i don't see why you couldn't do that four zombies <laughs> walking around a shopping center buying designer labels and occasionally being like oh you've seen the size of his brain <laughs>
1: I still maintain that there would be a very good zombie version of that film.
0: Yeah, like Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, but Better. Sex and the City and Zombies.
1: Yeah, you could call it Sex and the Zombies, but that would be a bit dodgy, wouldn't it? Or Zombies and the City. Zombies, Zombies and the City? Zombies and the City. That, I'd watch that. <laughs> um, I would really watch that. And also, because obviously Kim Cattrall doesn't get on. With- Why are we talking about this film? Well, look, like, you, you were suggesting... no more of my time. <laughs>
0: you were suggesting that the protagonists of Sex and the City during a zombie apocalypse would still go shopping for designer handbags and I'm just wondering if life suddenly became a zombie movie if apocalypse began tomorrow where would you go Chris?
1: oh that's a very good question it's almost like there's a segue into the topic we were going to discuss <laughs> do you know what like listeners who know me will be aware I spend much of my holidays travelling to the utmost end of the United Kingdom just because and I, I did contemplate the Isle of Man have you been to the Isle of Man? I haven't been to the Isle of Man What what
0: is there? is it is is just a sexist island off the coast of england no 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 women here only men we drink lager and we eat yorkie
1: bars and they've all got three legs as well because based on their flag um, <laughs> <laughs> um they've got they've got very well endowed on the isle of man <laughs> well they've got steam trains and horse-drawn trams interesting but they've also got the Laxi wheel have you seen mindhorn with julian barrett no that is set on the isle of man okay i do
0: like julian barrett so i'll check I, it out i think
1: i th- it's a strange film, but anyway, I think they ends with a fight on the Laxi wheel, which is a huge, great, big wheel used for copper mining or something. So you could have so, like. So
0: by the sounds of it, the Isle of Man is still stuck in the 1900s. Oh yeah. yeah. Uh, why is it you'd want to go there? Ah, uh, I wouldn't,
1: <laughs> uh, because basically people would people would be going there as a tourist attraction. It would be too popular. So. I realised I didn't want to go to an island. And we'll talk today about Dawn of the Dead, where Ken Faree, Peter, in the film, says that the zombies are going to the shopping mall and they don't know why they want to go there. They just know it's their, like, habit to go there. Yeah. So I wanted to pick somewhere that nobody would ever want to go. Okay. So I suggest Coventry. (laughs)
0: And the reason I suggest Coventry is
1: because, essentially, why would you go there unless you absolutely had to? Like, you wouldn't have, like, an internal behaviour to make you go to Coventry. Also, just to highlight the defensive capabilities of Coventry, it has a ring road on the outside, and you could block the ring road and demolish all the bridges leading over to the centre of Coventry. You've got a pedestrianised shopping area, and also, I'm pretty sure there's a clockwork model that comes out of the Tower of The naked lady. I can't remember her name. She was... There was a naked lady on a horse. That one.
0: You know. Sorry, Chris. I asked you, what would you do in a zombie apocalypse and you said you would find the nearest naked lady
1: on a horse? Uh, Clockwork. Clockwork naked lady on a horse. That's what I'd do. Of course. I'm I'm going to have to... Uh, I'm actually now not quite sure uh, that she's... (laughs) I'm actually going to have to Google this. It might be Lady Godiva. Um, I, I now can't remember. Um... Coventry, I'm googling this, Coventry (laughs) Clockwork Lady on Horse. Uh, The clock tells the thousand-year-old story of Lady Godiva's naked ride through Coventry to protest against a tax rise by her husband, Lord Leofric. In the story, everyone in the city except Tom turned away to spare Lady Godiva. Uh, embarrassment, and Tom was struck blind as a punishment. I'm just—I don't understand the thought process behind this. So I basically would just hang out by the Godiva clock. I destroy all the entrances into Coventry and use the Ring Road as a natural defensive barrier. And there probably wouldn't be anyone there anyway.
0: Is there a military barracks near Coventry? Just in case you wanted some practical reason.
1: Have you never seen Twenty Eight Days Later? You wouldn't want a military barracks there, absolutely not. You'd have Christopher Eccleston turning up. <laughs> <laughs> To be fair, Christopher Eccleston will probably be there for the Lady Godiva statue. Because have you seen Twenty Eight Days Later? Yeah, yeah. Because obviously the only reason they bother rescuing them is for the women. So I think he'd just be there for the Clockwork <laughs> Lady Godiva statue. Well, you
0: distract him, wouldn't you? Say, "Oh no, Christopher <laughs> Eccleston! Don't come after me." There's a naked lady at the top of the clock tower.
1: Ooh. <laughs> like basically, uh, yes. You'd look at her. You wait for the hour and be like, "I've got the perfect trap for Christopher Eccleston." And be like, "Look, Christopher Eccleston! <laughs> naked Lady Godiva coming out of the clock tower." That is
0: famously why he stopped being the Doctor and Doctor Who. He we're struck blind
1: <laughs> I was staring at lady diver coming up the clock tower <laughs> um so there you go listeners um you may be wondering That's why you bother you bother listening to bigger pictures but we give you informative information <laughs> on the on the city of coventry this is an educational show really <laughs> <At Yeah. heart. laughs> Preach, where would you go in the event of a zombie apocalypse
0: so i liked i liked your theory of going to an island but I think you were thinking too small. I would fly out of Britain. I wouldn't. I wouldn't stay in the country. I would get to New Zealand as fast as possible. First, fly out of here and hope that Jacinda Ardern takes me in. Mostly because New Zealand is the English-speaking country with the lowest COVID mortality rate worldwide. If you're talking about global pandemics, then I think that the country's responses to COVID is a good base. Mm, yeah. So New Zealand currently has a uh, five deaths per million of the population. You've overthought uh, as this, as opposed to the UK. <laughs> As opposed to the UK, the worst English-speaking country at 1,850 deaths. So by staying in the UK, your odds of becoming a zombie are 370 times higher than in New
1: Zealand. So hang on. So let's so let's just just so as we're looking at COVID. Yeah. Yeah. Let's yeah. say, for yeah. example, you made a zombie film about people catching a, a virus or something. Yeah. And you, you you decided which country to set it in. Would you think it would be sensible to set it in Ireland on the basis that it's an island and they can close their borders and, and perhaps that might be a bit unrealistic? Or would you try and set it somewhere that the virus could spread much more easily? Not that I'm getting at a fundamental problem with the cured, but yeah.
0: <laughs> no, I don't think it's a fundamental problem because, like, the UK is a tiny island by comparison to the rest of the world and yet we've had a disease that spread like wildfire through our population and I think it's kind of ridiculous. I'm just saying that if you're in a pandemic, a zombie pandemic, then you want to be in a country where the leader, the Prime Minister, for example, isn't I can't really call him what I think of him, but, you know, he's a bit of a Jeremy Hunt.
1: <laughs> and also, if you did go to New Zealand, you could actually film Lord of the Rings again.
0: Who wouldn't love that? Pandemic happening in the rest of the world, New Zealand's living its life like normal and reenacting Lord of the Rings on weekends. See, the thing is, what's not to love? I
1: disagree with you because I, d- I think this pandemic's taught me that I don't really want to go outside anymore. I don't really want to see people. I'm done with that now. i grown out of it <laughs> the the, the covid 19 has taught me that it's much better to be inside and listen to top quality podcasts like this one <laughs> <laughs> well i can't disagree with you there
0: you know what one of the films we're talking about today has a lot to say about staying inside during a an, an apocalypse a crisis why don't we talk about that would you like to introduce it john on the dead is the 1978 satirical horror film written and directed by george a romero When the dead won't stay dead, two police officers, a weatherman, and a TV exec hole up in a shopping mall to survive the zombie apocalypse. They just want to live life as normal as possible for as long as they can. But the zombies won't let them.
1: The zombies do let them. Do they? Yeah, I mean the zombies are the zombies. Really, aren't the problem? It's incompetence that's the problem. Incompetence and scum. Incompetence and scum. (laughs) Because basically, they've got a whole plan for how to like barricade themselves in the mall. Mm. And apart from the odd bit that where it goes wrong, normally with Stephen, because Stephen is rubbish. Stephen is the weatherman, right? Yeah. Okay. Stephen's just the worst shot of everyone. Like he's just totally incompetent. Yes. Yeah. And I appreciate it's not perhaps his fault. He didn't do much shooting as a weatherman, but he is useless. So basically, it's incompetence and then the scum element of of course, is the biker gang that turn up at the end with their flick comb. It's a bit where this guy's like, we're going to take the shopping mall and he gets a flick knife out and he clicks it and it's a comb for his moustache. So that's basically why the world ends, because of scum like that. <laughs> with their flick combs. You recommended Dawn of the Dead. You presumably really like it. And, and just to emphasise that a bit more, the whole reason I wanted to do the zombie episode was to get you to watch Dawn of the Dead. That was, that was the whole reason I wanted to do this.
0: And you know what, fair enough, because it does something that I've never seen before. No film has ever done this thing where It gets interesting at the moment that it stopped trying to make stuff happen. Yeah. Right? When the film slowed down is when the story picked up. So the first half an hour before they get to the shopping mall... Yeah. It's just, this happens, and then this happens, and then this happens. So, like, they're in a chaotic TV station, and then... What's his name? Stephen says... Says to... um,
1: Oh, what's her name?
0: They've all got such boring names. I know, they do
1: don't know. Francine. Um, Stephen says to Francine,
0: I'm going to take you away in the helicopter. We cut to Roger and Peter, who are two SWAT police officers breaking into a hotel, and then there happen to be zombies there, and then there's a priest in the basement, and then they meet... Francine and Stephen, and then they meet some corrupt police officers, and then they fly away, and then they see some zombie. Cho- it's just you know, just one after another of oh this happens, and then um, there's this bit, and I, then di- that I
1: disagree with you because my opinion is that first half an hour it's a bit long, but it sets the scene perfectly because society. Has it's not even that it's long. broken down. It feels long, doesn't it doesn't.
0: No, there's no continuity there. There's no sense of like uh, cause and effect. It's just stuff
1: happening. Yes, but that's because society has broken down. It it is just stuff happening. It's chaos, Reese. That's the point. Um, and, <laughs> it's and boring. No, it's not boring. I'm not a
0: big fan of World War Z, but even that manages to present chaos in you know a way that suggests story that has plot, but, but also an unfolding of events rather it, than just stuff.
1: It creates the inevitability of the event because like and. Um, A lot of films like this, you're like, okay, but why didn't the military just turn up and deal with it? And then that is the military trying to deal with it. Really? And it goes wrong because basically you you can't actually fight the hordes of the undead because there's so many of them. No matter what you do. But that wasn't the
0: military dealing with it. That was the police raiding a hotel where there were some hippies.
1: The the military do turn up.
0: Yes, the, the military are there afterwards. They just happen to be there. It's one of those, and then the military are there. And then there's a smoke grenade that goes off.
1: Let's talk about what happens next, which is they basically end up in a shopping mall sort of by accident. Mm, and mm. they realise it's like a perfect haven. And as you say, where it gets interesting mm. is almost when the action stops. I think it's fascinating. But it's also really very funny as well. Well, you can see the
0: inspiration for Shaun of the Dead. Yeah. Whereas that sense of like kind of gruesome horror, but at the same time really quite funny.
1: And But Shaun of the Dead is, is very over the top, whereas this is this is slightly more subtle which is like the bit for example where they they decide to turn on the music for the mall but also that some of the actions of the zombies who are like trying to recreate do some of their behaviors that they they used to do like looking at clothes and and like playing in the fountain and and just trying to get into the mall it's a wonderful merging between the mundane and the end of the world Mm. so for example one of the characters roger gets bitten and they have to decide what to do about it. Yep. There's an amazing scene where Peter basically is sat opposite him with a gun, waiting for him to sit up as a zombie. And and meanwhile, while that's happening, they're also watching the TV, which is like the sort of worst version of Question Time, where they find this man with an <laughs> eye patch who's basically going, the only way is to feed the zombies. It's the only way we can do anything. Or eat the zombies or nuke the zombies. As there's that massive argument going on, the chaos is descending all around. You've got that contrast <laughs> between that, and uh peter and roger as peter's just aiming the gun waiting for roger to sit up and mm. then he takes the cover off and you think oh are they going to do the full makeup thing and it's like oh yes they do and it's just great i was happy when uh, roger finally died <laughs> he was reckless he was cocky he wasn't particularly helpful he had a bit when he was reckless and cocky and peter basically said look you're putting my life at risk and i'm not gonna let you do that and it's like yeah oh peter we like you peter Peter, you're you're allowed to survive. We like you. Everyone else, yeah. um, the, you you said that about Roger. I I felt that about Stephen. I just waited for Stephen to die. Oh, he was another one. He was, uh, and and basically, Rod, for the benefit of everyone else, Roger and Peter keep calling him Flyboy because basically, like he, he's just incompetent and he keeps trying to like help out, and it's like no. Go away, Stephen. You're just here to fly the helicopter and get us out of here if we need to. Stop, like, (laughs) trying to get everyone killed. And he's
0: just incompetent, like... He's not just incompetent. He's convinced that he's capable far beyond his means. So at the end, like, so it's Peter and Stephen in the mall and raiders are attacking them. And Peter says, look, we'll just lower the gates to, to, to make their life a bit more difficult. Uh, and then we can get out of here and we can fly away on the helicopter. And for some reason, Stephen insists on trying to
1: take pop a few shots off at the Raiders. Yeah. And he misses and he starts like a whole battle. Why would you do that? It's a message about greed, isn't it? And consumerism because it's his mall and he doesn't want them with all his stuff because it's his stuff. <laughs> but also it's Stephen. And it's the one person you'd put money on for screwing the whole thing up because he's Stephen. Mm-hmm. But what I think that contributes to is the tension between the characters And there is a lot of tension between the characters, normally with Peter, because Peter's basically the only level-headed person and is the only person that deserves to... Actually, Francine is not bad, but Peter's the main person who deserves to survive because he's competent. And everyone else largely can can go as far (laughs) as I'm concerned.
0: You mentioned that this movie was a critique of consumerism, and I'd heard previously that it was. That was like the one piece of information I had about this. There's a scene where the zombies are in the mall and the characters are talking about how the fact that they're just kind of doing what they're used to. They're going somewhere familiar that feels safe they don't know why they're there Mm -hmm. but i thought that the most interesting part of the film was when the humans managed to clear out them all and they're living their life almost as if it's normal do you think it's normal i think there's an emptiness to it well that's the thing there's like a montage that plays out twice and the first time life is normal and they're kind of happy and having a laugh the second time it plays out is when their own lives become sort of meaningless and empty
1: yeah
0: you know and they start wandering around like they're zombies themselves yeah and i thought that was really interesting
1: i like that that was really funny and really subtle. I like that, wandering around like the zombies themselves. That's very good. Another little round of applause.
0: Um. <laughs> well, it's like the film's saying that the only reason that we humans want to get rid of zombies is so that we can go back to shuffling around shopping centres. Yeah. Right, the problem isn't that zombies are this stinking, violent mob taking over our cities. The problem is that's our job.
1: <laughs> I think it's one of these things where it's something I didn't really quite expect in this film the first time I watched it Mm. but there is an emptiness Mm -hmm. as they realise this. what's the real point to to all this really Mm. and I I think it's fantastic but that's again this goes back to the point about Stephen screwing everything up because he just doesn't it's the greed of it really is is the problem (laughs) also it's Stephen he's
0: he's incensed that the raiders are stealing wads of cash from the bank in the shopping centre as though the cash is going to come in handy in some way it's 1978
1: it was done the special effects are not quite what we would expect now everyone's painted grey mm. for some reason but the actual bits where they rip out bits of you know stomach and whatever else do look I think do look pretty cool although they are a bit dated did that put you off?
0: No uh, what put me off was the writing and the acting really the
1: right how dare you what? no the writing is not bad no yeah, no it's yeah. not okay
0: well it's not bad but it's a different style to what we're used to today yeah. like modern movies we're used to a lot more realism and uh, subtlety in terms of layers of context and more muted performances this film yeah I don't know it's like it's kind of like uh, Robocop and everything's kind of just over the top and kind of wacky uh, yeah um, but it's not as good as Robocop but
1: it's, yeah it, I, it felt I've, a bit I still felt really think for me I still think some of the discussions they have and and normally everything that Peter says
0: yeah. I, I just loved I don't know it felt like they were trying to cram in one-liners too often uh, I didn't buy there it there
1: are quite a few that, yeah the, I must confess my favourite line in it, which we did at the start mm. but uh, it does come across as a bit of a one-liner is the bit where he says there's no more room in hell when there's no more room in hell, the dead will walk the earth. And I was like, oh,
0: that's so good. I, I just love it. The interesting thing about the relationships in this film is that at some point, all of those four characters are ostracised and pushed out of the in-group in some way. So Peter, there's the bit where he's uh, serving dinner to Francine and Stephen. Roger gets bitten yeah. and turns into a zombie. Quite often, Stephen is ridiculed by... The two SWAT officers calling him Flyboy, like mm-hmm. you pointed out. And Francine, there's a moment where she says that she's not going to sit around and be den mother for the guys. Yeah. She doesn't want to be treated any differently just because she's a woman. And mm-hmm. while Roger and Stephen <laughs> are both a bit antiquated in their views, Peter steps up and says, you know what, you're right. But before I give you a gun, we're going to make sure you can aim it properly. Yeah. And so, you know, I thought that was well handled. That, that was one bit of the writing that I thought was really well done. That there's a moment where their tie to the group is tested in some unique way.
1: The only thing I don't like about this film... ...is the ending, because I think it's very clear that they planned one ending and then didn't do it. What was that? Francine's in the helicopter waiting for Peter. Mm -hmm. And Peter's sort of sitting in the middle of the office, surrounded by zombies, waiting to sort of, you know, basically commit suicide. Yeah. Uh, Because, well, you know, what's the point in in carrying on this world? And then suddenly he's like, no, I'm going to fight all the zombies and get in the helicopter. And what was meant to happen was Peter was meant to, you know, shoot himself. And Francine was meant to jump into the blades of the helicopter. And they decided not to do that. But it's the way it's filmed, as if they're going to do what they meant to do, and then they just change it at the last minute. It's almost like George Romero was annoyed at having to change his ending. But I don't think he had to change it either. I think he decided to. And so that slightly doesn't work for me, but it's the only thing I can fault it on.
0: Yeah, I didn't particularly like the ending either, but I assumed it was just part of the less-than-stellar writing all the way through, that there was like a lack of continuity. We got to the end, and it was like, <sighs> oh, well, uh... Peter's locked himself in a room with a pistol. We know what's going to happen. And then he doesn't. And then he climbs up to the top of the roof somehow. And then he gets in the helicopter. And then he and Francine fly away.
1: I, I quite like the ending where they're just like, uh, how much petrol's in the helicopter? He's like, not a lot. And that's it. I, I, I It's a yeah. very morbid ending. And that's what should have happened at the end of Train to Busan. One thing that stands <laughs> out in this film is, to me... Uh, the television interviews that are on all the time where they've got this man with an iPad talking about like what's going to happen with, with the world and that they should sort of give in and they've basically got no idea what to do and there's all this chaos unfolding. And that's a theme which is actually picked up in The Cured as well. Reese, do you want to introduce The Cured?
0: The Cured is the 2017 political horror allegory written and directed by David Frayn. In Ireland, when a cure for zombieism is found, Senin, an ex-zombie, wants to live a normal life, but struggles, caught between the hostility of fearful humans and a militant ex-zombie alliance. This is a much more competent piece of filmmaking I thought. <laughs> okay, better yeah, yeah. characters, better plot with an actual story and just better drama. There was more going on all the time and it always like it felt like it was dominoes falling, hitting the next one, leading the story along.
1: So my favorite thing about this movie is that all the posters in the background are saying that your child might have <laughs> the maze fire, So that basically that the the zombie thing has happened. Sorry,
0: what, what what your favorite thing about this movie was that the, the, there were posters in the background. Yes. Did you not like the rest of it? I'll talk about that in a second.
1: I'm trying to. Re- I'm trying to lead on to my excellent segue from the previous film, and you've basically just ridden over it with your your commentary on so I just on thought it needed you know calling attention to. Because you know what I'm going to say about this but I so I'm just holding off a bit for 2 seconds uh, <laughs> before launching into this this uh this attempt. Um the, the posters in the background sort of have things that say you know oh your child might have covid don't trust this child and blah 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 because Did I, you say covid? I did say covid. I did say covid. And the reason <laughs> that I wanted to pick up on it is because the posters are almost like the covid posters we've mm. had recently. Mm-hmm. This film is a precursor to the covid pandemic which is astonishing and it I couldn't quite believe it when I saw all these posters say your child might have the maze virus so just to clarify the maze virus is the thing that turns people into zombies and that's something which is throughout the background but you've also got radio interviews say these people who've been cured aren't real and you know you shouldn't trust them yeah vaccine skeptics the central tenant to this film is essentially that there was a zombie outbreak in Ireland by something called the maze virus and basically of the people who were captured as zombies they have managed to cure 75% of them but 25% are immune to the cure and they want to kill the 25% and then they want to reintegrate the other 75% into society. And people don't think the 75% should be reintegrated because they went around murdering people and eating their brains and all that sort of stuff. So, But it is actually a really interesting concept. I just have a number of problems with it. Well,
0: let's, let's address the elephant in the room here, which is that this movie is clearly an allegory for the peace process yep. in Ireland after the Troubles. Yeah, yeah. Right, like there's no, there are no illusions there. Um, I wonder how much of it was influenced by the song Zombie by the Cranberries.
1: Well, the, um, yeah, she made that joke the other day. What was the, what was the, re- is there something in that song? I must confess I don't know the lyrics to it very well.
0: Well, I mean, the, the, the song is, um, it's about the, the, the troubles in Ireland. I don't and about know how that. People are acting like zombies. They're mindlessly killing each other. You've not heard it. I know, I know the song. I just like, I never actually looked yeah. at the lyrics.
1: It's appalling really, isn't it? Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah.
0: No, like it's, it's a powerful song and uh, I recommend it. And, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's good. The, Just like I thought this was good. I, I now understand... Well, so it's not
1: a joke. You're making a serious <laughs> point. Sorry. Um, yeah, yes. It's, yeah. uh, I, now, I now understand that. As you say, it's got a powerful allegory, but it's not even really... It's, at times, it's a bit lazy because, you know, the the cured. this is these people who aren't being accepted in society, go and attack the... Mm-hmm. Are they the Irish Republican Army? The vo- Irish Volunteer Army? Which is basically the Ulster Volunteer Force or, or, or the equivalent. And it's a bit... It's a bit lazy to me. Um, It's sort of screaming a bit that that's what it's about. But I did like the fact that it was there because it added more meat to this movie as as a sort of filmmaking piece.
0: Well, what do you do after an armed conflict? If you've got people who live in a community together or did before... The the violence broke out, and then you managed to solve the violence itself. How do you get people to to coexist again?
1: Like I thought that was the most interesting concept about it, but I didn't like how it was delivered because you had I couldn't quite understand what was going on. There was some sort of army man who was meant to be reintegrating yeah. Connor and Sened into society. Yeah, but his uh, sergeant Cantor, so, he's basically their parole officer. Yeah, but that's the thing, as in like he's at the same time as having like being a part of this this army thing. Uh, he's also their parole mm-hmm. officer, and he's also been charged their their entire life, um, and he's also mm-hmm. then investigating um, crimes that have been carried on. And I couldn't understand it. It was one thing or the other. It was like this sort of whole mishmash of quite lazy things put together. Like the character to me didn't make any sense. It was too many things all in one because it was the easiest way of of sort of putting that all together.
0: The reason he was in charge of their lives is because he was their parole officer and he was also like a, an army sergeant he wasn't a police officer he wasn't just yeah. a parole officer
1: and that's, that's um, and i
0: imagine that's part of the problem with the peace process in ireland well that, that, yeah i mean you know the, the very people who are meant to be policing the reintegration of you know uh, uh, the rebuilding society are kind of the same people who um i, I don't know the appropriate word but you know the, the militants were fighting against you know yeah. and so that was a direct conflict and now those people are given a position of power over them
1: the, the 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 issue to me is that in this film it's very obviously engineered to build up to that scene where someone has that argument about that topic like for example um uh oh, can yeah um Sennen. is goes to go and stay with his sister-in-law um abby yeah um but it turns mm-hmm. out he killed abby's husband um and yes. she and she doesn't know that. So basically, mm. you have this whole thing where it's like, oh, when is she going to find out? And then then Connor goes, oh, by the way, this happened. Ha, 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 ha. Um, and then you're like, oh, and now we have to have that argument. And it's like, it, it was just a bit forced at times. Like, they, they knew that what the tension was they wanted. They knew what the scenes they wanted was. But it doesn't really fit very well into the narrative. And it, that's the issue to me, is that it's, it's I over-engineered. I completely disagree. Go on. Connor... For context, Connor is a guy who he meets and talking to when
0: they're like in quarantine after getting the cure, and at first Connor seems like he's just um, a bit odd, like he's a bit scary. Yeah. <laughs> he, he's got a thing for Abby it seems, but we kind of learn over time that actually it, it turns out that Connor's actually like super manipulative, uh, and any scene between Abby and Connor, uh, there is this tension underlying where neither one of them trusts the other, we don't really know why to begin with, but something feels a bit off. Uh, we see that Connor's lying to her because we're privy to information that she isn't, obviously. Mm. Um, but then Sergeant Cantor comes in, uh, I think halfway through the film. Yeah. And he sits down, chats to Abby and says, look, there's something you need to know about the zombies. They can communicate. They're not stupid. They're not just mindless beasts. They are they are close to each other in a way that we will never understand. And he shows some photos of Connor and Sennen when they were zombies and suggests that Connor was a kind of alpha zombie that he was the organizer mm. of the and the instigator of so much of their atrocities. And what's happening at the same time is that we're watching Connor uh, organize as the cured alliance. This kind of militant group of ex-zombies who are throwing mollets of cocktails through family windows. Yeah. You know, and so it all builds up. And so when Connor finally reveals to Abby that Senan killed her husband, mm. that's like the final nail in the coffin. Of Abby rejecting Sennon. And, you know, what Connor's uh, tried to organize is that Sennen would be radicalized and sent back to kind of fight with the militant ex-zombies. You know, it's. it's, it's, it's there's an excellent psychological element to this film, which I just loved.
1: Um, Abby's character, um, so, she, so yeah. in the film, she basically goes to. Um, she's a journalist, isn't she, or something. Um, And she turns Mm -hmm. out to be the person who seems to be investigating this but also is heavily involved because of her relationship with Senna and with Connor. Um, And it just, Mm -hmm. it was was all very close-knit in the sense that that had to happen for the film to work. And I just couldn't quite believe the context of of what was happening. It it just seemed a bit, to me, a bit unrealistic. But I I agree that the tensions were there. Part of
0: the thing is that, like, Connor, the reason he's so fed up with this new way of living is that at one point you know before these zombie apocalypse he was uh, running to be an mp and uh mayor now he's like yeah. a house cleaner yeah and he like his uh his education here, all the
1: work he'd put in beforehand was all null and void. Connor's character has an obsession with power. Because that was before he was mm. uh, a zombie. He was running for office, as you said. Yeah. He was then, yeah. as a zombie, he was leading the pack. Mm-hmm. Um, and then afterwards, he then wants to lead the pack again. Because, as you say, the army sergeant is saying, you've got no power anymore here. Yeah. Yeah. Connor's yeah. character is probably the most interesting character, I think, in the film. Yeah, um, But I did struggle at times to find it that realistic. What One of the problems I had with this film is... I can't quite pin it down this is the problem it's either the acting or the directing and this goes back to this idea of a lot of things being forced so at one point in the film Abby basically goes to spy on the zombie people or something like that and she walks up Mm -hmm. into the steps um, for the into the zombie centre thing or whatever it is Um, and then she turns around and looks and it's like oh come on like that's just lazy like you know you couldn't have it more sort of stereotypical sort of, you know, oh, look, you know, oh, I'm not quite sure about this. It, it just was sort of screamed uh, as being a bit obvious. And there were lots of shots of, of um, uh, Elliot Page, who's the person who plays Abby, sort of staring mm-hmm. into space. And I was just a bit like, why? What, what is this contributing to this film? Uh, you're basically saying, look how meaningful this is. But it wasn't meaningful. It was just annoying. And basically every time that Elliot Page was on screen, I was like, okay, now he's going to stare yeah. into space again because that's basically what his his character seems to do is just to stare into space. I found it a bit... I, I think it's the directing I had a problem with rather than the acting.
0: I think the problem there is in the writing. Okay. And I, I want to suggest a reason for you why. And you might not find that the film's any more enjoyable for thinking about it like this, but it, it really provides an answer. This movie, to a large extent, is about passivity. When the zombies come back from being zombies and reintegrate into society, they don't really have a voice. You know, in order to stop the violence, they've got to stop being active. Uh which is where we talked about kind of common as motivation coming from. Mm. and all the other characters, apart from the army sergeants and some of the doctors, they all have to like choose a certain amount of passivity in their lives, or they can't actively change things themselves, which is why Abby is recording this video footage of what the cured alliance are up to. Mm. The problem is that stories rely they they they, they <laughs> their lifeblood is motivation, it's active character choices. And that's, I think, where this film struggles. I think that's what you're pointing out in some way. The symptom of that is that we want the film to progress. We want to see something new that changes the dynamics between all the characters. Mm. But the film is set up in a way that all these characters are passive. (laughs) And the, the characters who are active are the villains. And it's like, how do you square that circle? Yeah. uh, Uh, And I think that's where you get slightly odd scenes like Abby just coming across the Cured Alliance, practicing breathing like zombies. uh, And
1: that's the thing is, so Abby, for example, she films like all this stuff going on and then somehow like Mm -hmm. they all chase after it. And then you would think, okay, she's going to go to the police or to the army sergeant or something. No, she goes home. Mm -hmm. Then the zombies turn up and raid the house. And it's like, why would you do that? Why are you so stupid? But that's not like, oh, because it fits the plot. And that's to, that is the whole issue well, I have with this film is that I think there's I think there's some really interesting themes and I think it's a very honourable attempt. And I've seen a lot worse films. This is not The Fast and the Furious. Um, but <laughs> to me... No, that was a better film. Yeah, well, no. <laughs> uh, to me, this doesn't succeed because the, partly for what you've just said, but also because I think there has to be a quite significant suspension of disbelief with a lot of, A, the context of what's going on, but also because I, I don't... I don't think the, yeah, I, I think you're right that the characters don't quite do anything. <laughs> Sorry, that's a really bad summary. Right, but then
0: stuff has to happen in order for the plot to progress. Yeah, so it's, it's a bit of an impasse there i wasn't too fond of the ending what did you think of the ending
1: well yeah i mean basically to me it was a bit where they were like oh yes we can now have the zombie bit with all the zombie stuff happening because basically that's the only reason that people want to watch this film which i didn't really agree with and there was some really contrived plot about releasing the zombies mm-hmm. and the only it seemed to me the only reason they had this debate about tw- about whether the 20 the only reason there was 25 percent of people not cured is so they could release the zombies at the end of the film and it just seemed a bit strange really i i didn't i didn't really get on with it I I don't know, did you feel the same or not? So the thing about the the
0: zombies and the reason that they're there, I'll come to in a second, uh, because I think that's really interesting. But mainly the problem I had with the ending for this film is that Cillian, Abby's child, her son, gets bitten by a zombie. And the government of the day has decided not to vaccinate the rest of the zombies, but this last 25% are beyond hope. Yeah. So uh, Abby knows that if her son turns into a zombie, he'll most likely get put down. And so what Senin does is runs off into the wilderness with the rest of the zombies. Uh, zombies don't attack the cured. Mm. To them, they smell like zombies or whatever. Yeah. And it wasn't set up for that. Like uh, Senen doesn't really have a relationship with Cillian. No. Yeah. And he becomes like the leader of the feral zombies. And it's kind of, yeah, just good for him in a way. <laughs> But to come on to the fact that these 25% of zombies are left over, yeah. one thing that really stood out to me in both of these films is that they're very explicitly trying to split the world in two. Human versus zombie, right? And in Dawn of the Dead, I feel like a big part of that is because zombies are the ultimate Hollywood bad guy. Mm-hmm. You don't need to feel guilt for shooting them. And there's so many of them you can just <laughs> let loose with an automatic weapon, mm-hmm. which is what a lot of Hollywood has always tried to do. Yeah. But, you know, when you try to split the world in two, there always seems to be this remainder, like a leftover. And in Dawn of the Dead, that's shown by fringe characters. You know, the racist cop from the beginning mm-hmm. and the raiders at the end. Who, they're destructive and wild like the zombies are, but they're also like driven by personal motivations like the humans are. They're not just like vicious stomachs like I called zombies back in the Trains mm-hmm. episode, Yeah, they fall into basically the middle of a Venn diagram of characteristics. And in The Cured, at first it seems like this third thing, the, the remainder, is the focus of the plot. You know, the cured zombies themselves, like Senon mm. and Connor. But I think the genius of it is that you can interpret it so that any one of these three factors, the humans, the zombies, and the cured, are the unstable leftover. So, like, first of all, of course, there's the zombies, mm-hmm. who are out- this outside force which created the second class of human in the first place. And the fact that... They exist means that the cured can't ever fully reintegrate into human society. There's the humans who are the unstable element because while the zombies treat the cured as equals because they like the smell like zombies still, Mm -hmm. the humans are still putting the cured ones down. And then there's the cured who introduce a moral ambiguity, you know, because as long as Hmm. it's possible to cure a zombie you can't just kill them. Yes. And that's like the point of the film. And it's the the unstable relationship between these three groups keeps the movie going. Mm. You know, and the mystery of the movie is which of these two groups will kind of come out supreme which is the third that will kind of be cut off at the end
1: yeah i don't think it's a bad film and i I think that's i think you've hit on the hit the nail on the head there which is that is what makes this film interesting and why i was quite keen that we Hmm. watched it i was a bit disappointed by it but i I still would encourage people to go out out and watch it but i definitely tell also to go out and watch dawn the dead as well because dawn the dead is just wonderful even if you disagree with this (laughs) it's it's right like no it's uh, wonderful right. is a bit strong it's it's, it's better uh... all right. it's excellent <laughs> Rhys, i think this is the point that brings us toward the end of the series <gasps> oh, by myself. Do, 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 do. we'll be back though we'll be back. we'll be back in a few months now reese uh, so just for the benefit of the listeners i don't really do a lot on this podcast i turn up i speak i manage to get my microphone <laughs> working that's about it reese does all the editing puts everything online and does loads of other. Stuff. i write the sketches and then reese changes them because basically they're not very good so reese does a lot of the hard work on, on this so reese i have specifically commissioned a present for you which i believe you've got there so you should have it uh, in front of you somewhere if you can open um and that's the sound of the box yes you, so you may open it that's a box it shouldn't be yep. in a box, it should be in a, something else, but that's, hopefully it's going to be the right oh. thing. Uh, we'll see what happens. I know it's been delivered, so do you want to open <laughs> it? And hopefully it's not going to be this thing in a box. <laughs> we'll see what it is now. I don't quite know what it's going to be if it's in a box, but it's fine. I didn't know it was a box. Oh, I yet. dropped it. So it's, it's, I hope it's not fragile. No, it's something I've specially commissioned for you um, as a present. commissioned. I've also got one as well, so I'd be intrigued to know what you think. But if you can also tell me what it is, because they might have sent you the wrong thing by the sound of it. Mm-hmm what
0: oh oh wow wow in a good way wow what is it because i'm just making sure it's actually what i actually sent you i think it's i think it's my worst nightmare oh yes it's yes (laughs) so
1: it's a t-shirt oh thank god yes it's meant to be i i've also got a mug with this on as well i've got a (laughs) t-shirt and a mug do you want to describe it for the listeners please oh it's
0: it's 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 awful (laughs) Oh, I hate it. Thank you so much. It's 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 a it's a clown spider. It's a clown spider. Um, it's a clown spider. And it says we're coming for you. It says bigger
1: pictures. We're coming for you. Uh, a threat which I take personally. I especially commissioned an artist to draw this. I was going to commission your partner, but I knew that you might sort of um, you might find out, so I had to sort of get someone else to do it. Yeah. So this is our very kind listener, Marcello, who put this together. And uh, for the benefit of listeners, yes, it's it's a clown spider. And it's as big a picture's we're coming for you on a t shirt. And it's wonderful. So I think it looks really good. I'm quite pleased with it.
0: Well thank you, Marcello. Your your work will haunt me
1: forever. Um, we are capable of com- making more of these if people want. We probably won't make them on mass because um, I'll end up with a whole load of them in my house. But perhaps maybe we could tweet a picture of it or something at some point. Yeah, we'll sort it out during the break between seasons. Yeah, unless you really, really, really hate it, which it sounds like you slightly do, but not quite.
0: No, it's... Um... It's unique,
1: isn't it? <laughs> it is unique. It almost feels like
0: it's uh, the t-shirt equivalent of picking a scab. There's something oddly compelling about it
1: even though I know it is awful. <laughs> I I'm I'm I I tend to wear it when I go on walks places and Rosemary tells me I have to hide it so I don't scare any children. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um well, Reese, that brings us to the end of the season. I hope everyone that you've enjoyed listening and it's been pleasurable. We've certainly enjoyed making it. Yeah. Um and we, we we'll definitely come back and do some more unless one of us gets hit by a bus or, or a zombie outbreak. Um uh, that's also <laughs> also a possibility. Um, if you do have any suggestions about what you'd like us to do in the next series, you can tweet us either at History Reynolds or at Reece DS, or you can get in touch with Reese on Instagram via the, the same means and uh, we'll be absolutely delighted. You got the name right, Chris. Yeah, in, Instagram. I, I Finally. Yeah, no, oh my God, you've had an arc over this season.
0: You can say Instagram. Yeah,
1: or, or somewhere. I'll remember the email address at some point, but I've never quite got around to that bit. <laughs> um, <laughs> When I have a... Just to say, it can be a bit
0: difficult for people to kind of catch us at the beginning of a season. Yeah. It seems like that's when we lose the most listeners. So if you do want to catch us as soon as we're back, make sure that you subscribe to Bigger Pictures anywhere you're listening. Uh, that includes Apple Podcasts, the Google Play Store and Spotify. Yes. And if you've enjoyed this episode and this season, you can support us for free by recommending us to a friend or leaving us a review or liking it can they like the podcast
1: is that a thing you can do I think you can on Podbean you press a button and it's a little heart a bit like Legend of Zelda so um, <laughs> there we are right the time has come for me to say goodbye um, I look forward to speaking to you in the next season of Bigger Pictures
0: oh, and I look forward to speaking to you not until the next season of Bigger Pictures I'm fed up with you Chris to be honest <laughs> It's been six episodes of torture. (laughs) No, it's been lovely. I'll speak to you soon. Right, bye. Bye. Do we do it once more? You know, I like to think that if we turned into zombies, Chris, nothing would change. We'd still be doing this podcast. (laughs) Welcome to Bigger Pictures. Adam Sandler. (laughs) I don't like the Nicolas Cage. (laughs) Anyway, silly little thought.